Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life. I want a relationship. I do everything in opposition with action. You're inviting disrespect. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale. Or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. How are you feeling today? So many of us are in our feelings as we examine the kinds of connections we want to foster in our lives. And we may be thinking right now about cleansing out all of those toxic relationships and confusing situationships. One of the things that is a key element in building healthier relationships is attachment styles. Now, you may be asking, what the heck is an attachment style? Short answer, it has to do with the feelings that come up when we are in relation with other people. And if we're not aware of our own attachment style it can create more hurdles for us to get to that intimacy at the core of a healthy relationship. Luckily, I have an expert with me today. I'll be joined by my friend Tracy Crossley. She's the author of the new book, Overcoming Insecure Attachment, and she's here to share all that she knows about building healthy relationships. But first, you know we have some dating news to cover. Psychologists have a new outlook on relationship compatibility. I'll tell you what it is. And is matchmaking having a modern day comeback? Then in Dear Demona, I'll answer your questions, including, is it taboo to go Dutch on the first date? And am I asking too much if I want him to have a stable career? Ooh, it's going to be a real one. Lovers, let's dish. D's dating dish. Post says psychologists identify a key component of close relationships is, drumroll please, shared reality. Interestingly, I'm always talking about shared values and shared goals, but this article opened my eyes to this concept of shared reality. And it hinges on this research that was released in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Here's the deal. A group of researchers at Columbia University and University of Pennsylvania said that how people perceive the world in general is an integral part of establishing and maintaining close relationships. So they did nine studies with over 1,500 participants and found evidence that the subjective experience of sharing a set of feelings, beliefs, and concerns about the world was a defining feature of close relationships and that romantic partners who experience a stronger sense of shared reality feel closer and more committed to their partner because they feel they have merged minds. How many times has that happened to you where you started to finish someone else's sentences or feel like you were looking through the same lens? And that is really the beauty of this shared reality. And then once romantic couples established a strong sense of this shared reality, they become motivated to uphold and protect it. I think this is why as We are seeing more 
separation in political beliefs that it's creating a lot of stress in relationships and relationships are becoming much more polarized because if you have somebody in your life who has a different reality and a different set of facts that they are uh, connecting to, that can upend the entire relationship. Okay, now here's where it gets really interesting for my single listeners, because there was also evidence that influenced social bonding among strangers. And they had one study where they paired participants up and had them chat together online. I know it sounds like the circle or something like that, but this is not a reality show. This is actual reality. And they found that these pairs of participants engaged in particular interaction behaviors, like expressing agreement and then saying things at the same time, then finishing each other's ideas. And the more that they did that, the more they felt a sense of shared reality. So you may have heard me say that one technique for flirting on dates is to mirror somebody else's body language, is to also give them good eye contact and then show agreement. I talk about the uh, principles of improv, yes and. Now, when I say yes and, it's not necessarily agreement, but it's more understanding. It's acknowledging understanding of what that person has said and then adding on. I'm reading this article as saying that we might want to think about yes anding like literal yes and if we want to build that sense of shared reality. Because in this study, the more that they felt that they clicked with the person, the more they wanted to talk again because they were, sh- were agreeing with one another and sharing one another's experiences. The article also says a lot of open questions remain like, how reciprocated is shared reality? Meaning, does my sense of shared reality with you actually predict your sense of shared reality with me? How many times has this happened to you on a date where you were like, we totally clicked, we really hit it off, and then you didn't hear from them again? Because your shared reality may not be in alignment with their shared reality. And even though you felt like they were in agreement with you, Perhaps they were doing some of these signifying behaviors, showing that they were interested in what you had to say, but there wasn't the the true weight behind that agreement. I'm fascinated by this, and I may even be expanding my four factors of long-term compatibility to include shared reality after reading this article. You can check it out in the show notes. Well, you know I love dating apps. That is no secret. However, my friends at Technology Review reminded us this week that dating apps are not the only way to find love online. Uh, The actual article is, Forget Dating Apps, Here's How the Net's Newest Matchmakers Help You Find Love. I didn't know we still called it the net, but I thought it was cute. In this article, they profiled three examples of ways people are making connections online not on dating apps. We have to expand our understanding of dating beyond just dating apps. And I love the way that some of these folks are doing that. There was a woman they profiled named Catherine Morgan. She says she was super burned out on dating apps. And then she made a Twitter thread and invited people to put themselves out there by replying with a photo of themselves and some information on 
who they are and what they were looking for. And it took off. The thread took off, especially in her hometown of Portland. So simple, but so effective. Twitter is a dating app. <laughs> Another woman named Rhonda Sakala said she was sick of swiping, so she created something called Hot Singles. <laughs> That sounds very sexy, Rhonda. She started it in December 2020. This was an email newsletter. And the premise was basically you apply to be featured. And if you are, your profile is sent to thousands of people on her mailing list. And one person's profile is delivered via email every Friday. Sounds kind of like coffee meets bagel, except for it's not. Except for it's kind of like an old school personals ad, but happening in this sort of closed and curated environment. Then there was Alexis Germany, who's actually a professional matchmaker. She decided to try TikTok videos during the pandemic to showcase clients and especially to bridge connections between people who don't necessarily live in the same place. I'm seeing this a lot. People are expanding their parameters around location. And what would happen if you expanded your parameters, if you could find your TikTok boo anywhere in the world and not just in your neighborhood or the five-mile radius that you usually search on your dating apps. I know you're doing it. I know you're doing it. I see your dating apps. I know what's happening. So this is a reminder. If you've been doing the same search on the same dating apps the same way every time and you're getting the same results, that's insanity. And I want you to change something up. So let this be your inspiration to try something a little bit different. Maybe you want to start an email newsletter yourself or your own Twitter thread or go on TikTok and showcase everything that is great about you. And maybe you can find your TikTok boo that way. But we have to expand our parameters and expand our thinking of what is possible in the online dating universe, because it's not just dating apps. Those are the headlines today. When we come back, I will be here with Tracy Crosley talking about attachment styles, a much requested topic on Dates and Mates. And in the meantime, if you are not yet a member of our Patreon Friends with Benefits Club, let me invite you inside the club. You can join me for a weekly live stream. You can get my curated content club of what I'm watching, reading, and listening to, and so much more. Check it out at patreon.com slash dates and mates. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am here with Tracy Crosley. She is a behavioral relationship expert who helps to break insecure attachment patterns and gain emotional intelligence. She's out here changing people's lives and their relationships. She's been featured in the Huffington Post, Vice, Hello Giggles, Bustle, and so much more. And now she's back on Dates and Mates. Please help me give big smooches to my friend, Tracy Crosley. Thank you for having me again. I'm so happy to be here. I love talking to you. Oh, same. It's kind of wild because like the first time you were on Dates and Mates, we didn't know each other at all. And now we're like pandemic buddies. <laughs> and I know you very well, I feel. <laughs> yep. Yep. We like that wine. <laughs> we do. Y'all, uh, Tracy is one of the people in my my wine club of friends. And so, yes, we both like the same wines. <laughs> and we both also like helping people in love. And I'm so excited for you, Tracy, because you have a new book, Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious, Avoidant Attachment Styles, and Building Healthier, Happier Relationships. I am really pumped. I mean, I'm excited, first of all, just because you wrote a book and it's going to be a huge hit and I'm excited for that. But also, girl, I think the pandemic 
has brought out a lot more anxious and avoidant attachment styles. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. I think if you had any kind of issue around not just dating, but any sort of obviously mental health issue, I think that it just made it worse for most of the population. Mm. Let's talk about the foundation, because for some people, attachment styles might be new to them. What are attachment styles, Tracy? (laughs) What are attachment styles? Well, it came from a theory, okay? And the theory started in the 1960s by a psychologist named John Bowlby. And he sort of laid the foundation for it, but somebody named Mary Ainsworth, she was his assistant at one point and worked with him. Um, And then she did something called the strange experiment. And that's where they came up with these attachment styles. So what they did was they had babies, they were up to, I think, two years old, in a room with a mom and a stranger. And if the mom would leave, they would look at how the baby reacted when the mom left and how they reacted to the stranger. That's how they identified different attachment styles, like kids that were securely attached might notice that mom was leaving, but they would still keep playing. They felt relaxed. It was like they had their rock, right? They weren't worried mom wasn't going to come back. The other kids would react differently depending on their attachment style. So somebody who, let's say, had more of an avoidant attachment style or an ambivalent attachment style would probably ignore mom when mom came back or when mom left would act like, oh, no big deal. And then the ones that were anxious would be losing their minds. So that was kind of how it was established. And then since then, we've had so many different theories on it that, you know, into adulthood and so on and so forth. Well, I'm interested in your theories (laughs) because you are (laughs) in my guest chair today. And I I wonder from your perspective, how much of this is nature and how much of this is nurture? How much are we born with that anxiousness and how much of it is a product of our experiences and how far back, I mean, they're studying babies, but how far back do these experiences imprint upon us? I believe it's a combination. And what I mean by that is I believe certain person, you know, you have a certain personality that you're born with and then your conditioning is going to bring out certain characteristics more or less. Because if you look at a family, all of the kids don't have the same attachment style. And that's because their personalities are different, right? So somebody who might be, let's say, a little bit on the anxious side, it's going to be made worse by however the caretaking is. And that's your conditioning. Mm. For the folks who are listening, who maybe have recognized they have a little bit of more more of an anxious or avoidant attachment style. First of all, how would that show up for them in relationship? How could they recognize this pattern in themselves? I mean, there's so many different ways to recognize these patterns. So both attachment styles usually have issues with emotional intimacy. Okay. I just want to lay that groundwork right there. Now, people that are avoidant or more avoidant tend to be more outwardly avoidant, like um, they're the ones who do a lot of ghosting. They're the ones who can't seem to commit, or if they do commit, it's something that doesn't necessarily overwhelm them. Like if there's chemistry for an avoidant, an avoidant might run, which is what makes the person who's anxious crazy because they think they've hit it off with somebody and then that person disappears. And that's because there's a lot of fear. There's a sense of overwhelm of responsibility that's not really true. And that's somebody who's avoided. And then maybe they spend some time away 
And, you know, then they think, oh, OK, I, you know, I'm thinking about this person still. Let me go ahead and contact them. And then they get back into that that stream. Um, somebody who's anxious tends to, on the first date, be already in the space of planning their lives out. You know, that you're you're already looking at this person like you're going to marry them. And this is, you know, you're going to take them home to mom and dad and all of that. Um, also tends to wait for the text messages, is freaking out if something isn't happening, thinking they've done something wrong. They're people pleasers. Um, avoidance aren't so much people pleasing. They're more perfectionists. So those are a couple of the differences. And what if you're both? <laughs> Like me. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I don't know anyone like this asking for a friend, but I'll, I could relate to a lot of what you said, you know, especially back when I was single. Yeah, me too. I, I was anxious avoidant. So it depended on if I had chemistry. So what would happen is I would meet somebody. I didn't ever feel like I had a lot of chemistry with people. And when I did have chemistry, it was like a miracle in my head. And so I would lose my mind, basically. Um, I would become anxious. But if I did not have that kind of chemistry, I would find that I could easily dismiss people. You know, I would say, oh, God, I want to be in a relationship. But everything I did was to pick apart the other person, was to find fault, was to find reasons to keep a distance. And most of the time, not even continue to date them. Mm. Yes, I've heard of these situations before. And actually, we I get a lot of questions on the show um, for people that maybe this isn't their entire nature, but there are certain people and situations that bring this out more. And there is, I think because of the speed of dating today, I think that's the biggest fallout of online dating. People like to blame dating apps for everything that's wrong with dating today. And I just think the the dating apps, kind of like the pandemic, just amplified what was already there. And so now you're having more interactions with more people. It's happening quicker. So it feels more acute because of the the frequency and the intensity with which you experience something that really has probably been there all along. Yep, it has. I will say one other thing. Um, most people that I find that are more on the avoidance side usually like intensity in other parts of their life too. So they may be people uh, that have careers that have a lot of intensity. You have doctors, you have lawyers, you have salespeople, you have, I mean, and those aren't the only ones, but those are the ones off the top of my head where there is this excitement or this intensity pretty much all the time on the job because both attachment styles are looking for the sense of excitement that's not really in day-to-day -day life. You know, like when you're in a healthy relationship, you don't have all that intensity. You don't have the crazy making. So it's totally opposite. It is really interesting having, I think, recovered from an avoidant, which now that I'm talking to you, maybe it was anxious avoidant. <laughs> uh, attachment style. I feel like now I have I have gotten to a place of secure attachment. Fourteen years of marriage later, and I mean it, it's evolved all, over this over time. But we don't have the highs and lows. Like when I tell people, my husband and I, we really don't fight. Like doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean we agree on everything. Mm -hmm. We communicate, but I do not crave the intensity. Those 
those like, I don't know what's going to happen. This is so exciting. <laughs> what it, it's like boom or bust, right? Right. And that used to really fuel me in romance. So I don't know. I'll be honest, Tracy, and I'm not an expert in attachment styles, which is why I'm so thrilled to have you here. I don't know exactly what I did to become more secure, but uh, in addition to reading your book, Overcoming Insecure Attachment, which I'm sure will give much more detail on how people can do this, what are a couple of simple ways that they can begin to either examine or then shift their attachment style to become more secure? Well, you can start when you're dating. I mean, and and I don't know if uh, people in relationships are listening too, but when you're dating, I have this thing that I tell my clients to do. It sounds simple, but it is hard to do, but it can change everything. Stay five minutes longer. And what I mean by that is if you're on a date, okay, and you walk in and and maybe even you've looked at their profile and you're like, okay, I'm going to go out with him. I don't really want to go out with him, but I'm going to go out with him because, you know, I'm, I'm on this dating kick to get to a relationship. So I'm dating everybody or whatever. Okay. So without getting into a preconceived notion of what your date is going to be, and, and, and then if you do, that's fine too, but I'm just saying, try not to, but if you do, you do, you walk in, you start picking them apart in your head. Oh my God, their hair is parted wrong. Oh my God, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever the issue is. So instead of trying to think about your escape plan, get curious and stay five minutes longer, but get, what you want to be curious about is not the other person. You want to be curious about why you're reacting the way that you are. You want to see what it is you're actually afraid of. Because when you want to bolt from a date, unless they're doing something overtly, you know, abusive or there's something really wrong, it's you and it's your fear. And it comes from these attachment styles. And to be curious about yourself, like, God, why am I feeling how I am? Can I sit here and handle these feelings longer? A lot of times when you get into that fight or flight place, you're afraid of something that's going to happen, but you don't even know what that is. And if you stay, you may find it's nothing. It's like the boogeyman. It doesn't really exist. Or you may stay and find, wow, I'm really afraid of going out on a second date with somebody. Or wow, I'm really afraid of connecting with somebody. I'm, I'm afraid of settling. I'm, you know, I'm afraid of connecting with the wrong person. You start to notice that these are your issues and that nothing is actually happening outside of you that makes it so that it's all in your head. Mm. Yeah, it's in your head. It's in your conditioning. Those Mm -hmm. fears are, (laughs) they're intense and they kind of keep us in this loop. It sounds a little bit to me like the drama triangle, (laughs) what you talk about, the drama triangle. Tell everybody what the drama triangle is. Okay. So this was another great invention in the early 70s. It was a great invention time, you know, for these things, right? Like how do people get along in relationships or how don't they? So Drama Triangle was created by a doctor named Stephen Karpman, and he actually had given a lecture on this. And what he came to was there's this relational dynamic that people get into, and it's kind of all over the place in our society. We have the victim, the rescuer, and the perpetrator. If you look at a movie, there's a movie. You listen to a song, especially a love song, which isn't really 
very loving. Uh, there's the victim who's usually singing about the perpetrator who got away and wants that perpetrator to come back and rescue them. So we have these examples everywhere in our society. And unfortunately, we have them in our relationships, not just the intimate relationships, but relationships with everybody. And people don't realize how they think they sound empowered, but they really are a victim. And a lot of us too, like a lot of people that I attract to my work are victims and rescuers predominantly, but we all switch places on that triangle depending on the situation. Mm. So as we are moving through dating, like if you find that you're always, you're always in that victim, I, I do hear that a lot. Like I'm just kind of playing in my head all the questions that we get of like, why does this always happen to me? How do we break the cycle? How do we get out of the triangle? Maybe like, I don't know, turn into a square or a circle or something else. <laughs> well, there's different uh, solutions as far as shapes go. Yeah, <laughs> sure, true. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people have come up with like the assertive triangle. I don't really buy into any of that because a lot of this is not having awareness of yourself. It really is. It's like, you probably don't realize that you sound like a victim or that you're benefiting from the victimhood because there are benefits to being a victim. There's a benefit to being anywhere on the triangle. So that's why people can get stuck in certain positions. Poor me. If I'm a poor me and all of my friends feel sorry for me, then I'm going to have that support, right? Oh, you're so great. You guys are all the jerks. You know, women are all this. It's like, that's not going to help you to actually become aware and stop some of these behaviors is key because you're going to feel better. You want to be empowered. You want to be confident in who you are authentically. These are just dynamics. They're not defining who you are, but a lot of people let them let these dynamics define who they are. Mm. Well, and I'm sure if you ask them like, hey, are you a victim? They're like, no, of course. But then it's Y'all, you got to hear what Tracy's saying. It's when you recognize the pattern and say, what, like, what am I telling myself again and again? Or how am I repeating the same situation? And how does it make me feel? And like you said, get curious about yourself. I really look at dating and relationships as a journey in self-discovery. But you have to be willing to see the things that you maybe can't see right now. That is something very true, by the way. Yes. Talk to me about the B word, boundaries. <laughs> How does this show up for you in your work and with the with the victims and perpetrators? I know, I know. And I'm always commenting on this stuff. I am because we are not taught in our society what boundaries actually are. Okay. So first of all, they are not telling other people how to treat you because I don't know about you, but pretty much everybody I've ever known, including myself, if I tell somebody how to treat me, they don't treat me that way. And then I'm like, why don't they listen? Well, because you have no control over other people. Okay. So we don't, right? So don't even bother. What you want to do is treat yourself like you want to be treated. Most people won't do that. So what I mean by that is if you want respect, okay, as an example, and you're not respecting yourself by being in that situation, then you're inviting disrespect because you are disrespecting you. Now, it's not so black and white. You know, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's just so easy. 
But that's what you have to look at. If I'm not doing loving actions towards myself, how can I expect anybody else to? And people will treat us how we treat ourselves. That's how it works. Yes. And again, this I think comes back to the fear that you were talking about earlier. What keeps us from having these firm boundaries is, well, if I don't, if I don't allow this person to do this thing, then they might reject me. I'm afraid of that rejection. I'm afraid of the outcome or how they will react. And really that keeps us from being able to, you know, be in alignment and act in accordance with what we truly want. Yep. And if our words and actions aren't matching, we're not getting what we want. And a lot of us, again, you know, you got to apply that self-awareness. What am I doing compared to what I'm saying? Because that right there is establishing a boundary. If I say I want a relationship and I do everything in opposition with my actions, I'm not respecting my own words. So if I'm not respecting my own words, right, because a lot of people go on a date and they'll think I'm attracted to this person. Hopefully I can talk them into the things I want that they're saying they don't want. Right. And I'm not respecting myself by continuing to go down this path. I got to be honest with myself and make a decision instead of that. Well, in even in dating, I just did the segment um, with on the Drew Barrymore show with uh, Alicia Silverstone. We talked about red flags. And um, as we were talking about the segment, like one of the questions Drew asked was like, why? Why do we miss the red flags? And it's like, we're not missing them. We know what the red flags are. We think we're going to change it into another color. We think, oh, well, that doesn't, it's this story, these stories that we tell ourselves. This doesn't line up with this, the outcome that I want or the story that I want to tell. So I'm just going to like put on my rose colored glasses. Oh, look, now the red flag is actually white. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I surrender to you. But really, when I roll the tape back for my clients and they say like, I, I don't know how this happened to me again. I, how did I miss the red flags? And we roll the tape back. We realize Oh, there actually were signs along the way early on. I, I say usually like in the first month, mm-hmm. it, sometimes even the first time first you meet somebody, exactly, they will tell you what they're about. And it's like what you choose to filter in and allow in and what you, like you said, think is changeable or think like maybe they're not that serious about it or maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not actually that important. And then we get down the road. And actually it is. And it is. How do we know what's important, Tracy? (laughs) You know. To us. To us. Well, here's the thing. Most of us have a long list of characteristics that are a bunch of BS. And the reason is because we are coming from a state of what we feel we lack. If I need somebody to be better, let's say, than me in certain ways, it's because I feel a sense of lack inside. So that's when people get very, very tied into how someone looks, what they do for a living, like all of those kind of surface characteristics that really don't equate out into happiness or connection with somebody else, Um, you know, and to get to know what you want. Like for me, okay, so I went through, (laughs) I'm the poster child for everything I talk about, by the way. So been there, done that. And I, through all of that, came down to what matters to me. 
I want somebody to be kind to me. Okay. That was like number one was kindness. And not saying everybody is going to want kindness, but I think you would. Um, but but it became more about what is going to connect with somebody else. Because to me, you bring two different people to a relationship and each person has to take responsibility for what they bring, right? Well, and then you have a connection from that. And that's the thing that matters. It's not what kind of car do you drive? What kind of, you know, house do you own a house? You know, things like that don't really matter. You're coming from a fearful place when you want those kind of characteristics, usually. Oh, Tracy, you just said a mouthful there. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like this is a conversation I end up having a lot of when people are asking for, like you said, financial security. And I'm like, but aren't you okay? Aren't you okay as yourself? Like, aren't, don't you make enough money to support yourself? So why do you need that person to make as much or more than you do? What are you lacking? Maybe you are lacking emotional support when you get home from your long days at work and you need somebody to make you dinner and rub your feet and tell you everything's going to be okay. And that person might not be able to do that if they're working 70 hours a week. Uh, So really dialing into what, how, I think it's about how you want to feel too, right? It's not just what do we think we need. Yeah, but how do we want to feel? And just have to say, if you're feeling like you, if you're feels feeling some kind of way that you don't want to feel, I I just love Tracy how grounded your your advice is, and how you know this book really goes beyond attachment theory, and it's it's steps, it's practical, it's actionable, it's customizable, so that everyone can get something about this, whether they feel they have an anxious or avoidant attachment style or not, to just unpeel those layers and see how do you get what you truly want and what you truly need. Absolutely. Yes. Well, this is an amazing book. We're going to put a link in the show notes, Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious and Avoidant Attachment Styles and Building Healthier, Happier Relationships. Tracy Crossley, it is such a delight to have you back on Dates and Mates, and I I hope we get to drink lots more wine together. <laughs> I <laughs> hope too. the pandemic ends, but we continue to yes. drink a lot of wine together, and I wish you lots of success in life, in love, and especially with your book. Thank you so much, Demona, and I've really enjoyed being here talking about this with you today. In a moment, I'll be back to answer your questions, including... Are your traditional dating values holding you back? And can we be exclusive if I don't trust his financial situation? Ooh, it's a live one. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Here's what's on your mind this week. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. This first question was texted to us by an anonymous listener. She says, hi, Demona. Huge fan, girl or huge fangirl. I'm not really sure, but I love her use of emojis. You can do that in text, you know, and you should. Uh, She says, I have a very basic question. Who should pay on a first date? When it comes to the first date or two, I'm a traditionalist and I believe 
the man should pay. But recently, I went on a first date where the guy asked to split the check. While I paid for my half without flinching, it left a sour taste in my mouth and made an otherwise pretty good date kind of meh. But more than anything, it made me really evaluate my traditionalism. Is going Dutch the thing to do? While I love the equality of it, for me, it feels like something that happens later in the dating process, like on date two or three, we can start to split, but maybe I'm in the minority here. Would love to hear your insights. Listen, anonymous fangirl, you know, I'm evolving. I'm evolving here. I'm growing and learning along with you. Uh, A few months ago, I talked about this and I said, you know, I remain a traditionalist for some reason. This is like the one thing I have remained a traditionalist on. But I'm I'm going to go ahead and put a stake in the uh, evolution ground and say, I don't necessarily think that the guy should always pay. And I know we have a lot of LGBTQ listeners and they're like, Damona, what am I supposed to do? Help me. Let's just say the norm may be shifting to whomever asks the other person out, whoever initiates for the date. And this is another great reason why the first date should be cheap. It should be short and cheap. You should be a cheap date. (laughs) It should be Short and inexpensive, like coffee, drinks, ice cream, hike, something that doesn't require you to spend money. Because this is, I think, what builds up anxiety, frustration, disappointment with dating because you're like, dang, I just invested so much into that date and it didn't actually go the way I wanted. It didn't actually go anywhere. And if you put less time, money, and emotional investment in upfront, then it gives you a runway of somewhere to go. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't take off, then you haven't lost that much. So is going Dutch the thing to do? I mean, to me, that's my people would say that, you know, it's not very menschy <laughs> to then split it. It's not very romantic. And it for a long time has been a signifier. If somebody offers to split, it's like, oh, I'm just not that into you. I don't necessarily think it means that, but like, can we be a little bit gracious? If you did initiate the date, just offer to pay. It's not that big of a deal. If you're not doing dinner dates, which God help me, you are not doing dinner dates on first dates. Please tell me you're not. It's too much money, too much time investment. If you're doing low investment dates, it shouldn't matter too much who is paying for it. So be a little bit gracious offer to pay. I believe in equality partnerships. So I believe in offering to pay. And wouldn't it just be nice if that person would be gracious enough, whether or not they're interested, to go ahead and say, no, I got this. I'll pick up the check. And then you say, anonymous fangirl, you say, I'll get you next time. And then that can be a signifier that then you're you're interested in investing in the relationship. And that you want to reciprocate. If I'm going to be a modern dating coach, I have to evolve here. And I think the whole gender norms of who pays on the first date are going to have to change if we are going to change our dating culture. So if you're stuck in this situation, uh, the person asks, can we split it? And you had the expectation that they were going to pay for it. You can always come back with a cheeky response. I'm actually working on cheeky comebacks with my dating accelerator group right now. So your cheeky comeback could be like, 
Well, I, we could split it, but it, it'll mean that you're not going to get any tonight, <laughs> even if you were never going to give them any in the first place. It might make them say, oh, that was kind of a dick move to not be kind and gracious. Or you might want to say to them, oh, I thought you liked me, because sometimes they might be saying that as a test to see how much you really liked them or wanted to go out with them again. Get creative with it. And try not to carry that emotional weight with you. If they don't offer to pay, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a terrible person. Maybe they just haven't been listening to this podcast and you can just share it with them later. And that can be like your low-key hint to them (laughs) that maybe they've been going about it all wrong. But just try not to overthink it. There are some dates who are going to offer to pay. There are some dates who are going to ask to go Dutch. And there are some instances where you might feel inspired to pay. And all of them are okay and do not necessarily mean that it's not your person. Our next question came to us in a voicemail. Hey, Demona. Uh, My name is Casey, and I'm a big fan of your podcast. So I have a question for you. Recently, um, for the past, like, three or four months, I started seeing a guy. He's about eight years younger. I'm 36. Um, He's really great. He's very sweet. He's attentive. He follows up with plans and he does all the things to show me that he cares. And I really appreciate that. The one thing is he right now is unemployed. He's starting his own business. And, you know, I have a job and a very good job. And I own a house and all of these other things. So my question to you is, I guess, is it okay to... For that, I mean, I don't know if it's a deal breaker for me. I guess that's what I'm asking. Now, let me fill in a few of the details here. Casey says that they met three months ago, and recently he asked if she would be interested in being exclusive, and she totally froze up. Casey says, while many of my girlfriends were getting married and starting families, I put all of my eggs into the career basket. Mm, all of your eggs. Now I have a great career and purchased my first home last year. Kudos to you, Casey. But she says, I've been single for most of the last eight years and I'd love to find a partner for long term. What's the line of compromise when it comes to unemployment and or finances? He's trying to start his own business and living with his mom, who's admittedly lovely. But lately, I've become concerned about his work ethic. He sleeps in late, expresses he's worried about income, then spends it, loses receipts, etc. I'm all for turning your passion into a career, but I'm not sure he has the discipline to do so. And he's unwilling to get another job to support himself in the meantime. Initially, I thought the age difference might be a problem, but now I'm finding myself feeling like a bad feminist for wishing he had more financial stability and independence. He's a great guy and I enjoy his company. Am I being too picky for feeling like this might be a deal breaker? Okay, I'm going to work backwards on this one, Casey. First of all, as I said on the Drew Barrymore show last month, when I hear picky, I hear either I have lack of clarity or I have fear because it's easier to say I'm picky than to say I'm afraid. You have fear, my dear, I would imagine, over financial insecurity. And a lot of times that financial insecurity is not ours. It's passed down from prior generations. So I don't know about your family of origin. We might want to look at what the beliefs around money were there. 
we might want to even look further back because this can even be passed down from generation to generation. And it's totally valid. Like you've worked so hard for what you have. You got you got a house, you got a career, you've invested time and taken time away from investing in a relationship to be financially successful. So there's also a fear that this man's going to come in and take what I worked so hard to build. Totally valid. But we just have to name it and look at it. The other reason that people say that they're picky is because they don't, they aren't clear on what they want. So here's the big question for you, Casey. What do you actually need in a partner? All the time, successful women in their 30s and 40s come to me for help in love and they say, I'm looking for someone that's basically at my level or higher. And women are graduating with advanced degrees at higher rates than men. Women are now making more money and there is less stigma around men being homemakers or making less money. So we have to unpack this and and unravel this and look at all of these belief systems that have been passed down to us from prior generations and really ask, does that model that maybe my parents had or my grandparents had or that I saw in a movie does that model of what a family structure looks like actually fit for me? And you might find, Casey, that for you, you need a homemaker. If you are going to be out here on this hustle, still working on your career, maybe buying your next big house, maybe having a family, I don't know exactly what you want, but what is that vision? And then what fits in with that vision? Because if you want to have a family, you might need a supportive, loving caregiver to be there for your children. And I can tell you from the point of view of, ha- of two working parents that are both hustlers and have two children, it is a lot. I'm like, oh, this is why people had full-time nannies. This is why my grandmother worked as a domestic to other people's families while her eight kids were at home. Because it's hard. It is hard to get ahead and to be focused on your career and get dinner on the table and be there for your family and keep your house clean. I just let that one go. I I just let that ship has sailed (laughs) and I have to be okay with it. But it's hard to pull it all together. So you might want to reexamine what you think of as necessary or attractive or ideal even in your relationship goal. As far as the lack of discipline to support himself, the reality is he hasn't, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have real stakes yet because he is living at home. His mom is probably taking care of all of those things for him still. And there isn't a ticking clock beneath him to make his dreams happen or support himself. And until that is brought to a head, probably by his mom, He may be in that situation longer than you might be comfortable. And that's the real question to ask yourself. If you're concerned about his work ethic, if you're concerned about his lifestyle, if you're concerned about the way that he spends money, it's a very real fear that he then might spend your money too. So you have a little bit of thinking to do, Casey, and to figure out what you really want in your ideal relationship and how you need to be supported in different ways, emotionally, financially, spiritually, and date from a place of clarity first 
in knowing this is exactly what I need. Maybe you don't know how this partner will look. You don't know how tall they'll be. You don't know exactly where they'll live, but you know how you want to feel and you know what role this person is going to play in your life. And you let that be your primary filter to decide whether or not to invest in that relationship going forward. We went deep today. I hope you enjoyed episode 385 of Dates and Mates. I just want to shout out our listener, Michael Unbroken, who said, thank you for creating such an impactful podcast. I believe that we all have a voice that deserves to be heard. Thank you for putting this into the world. I want to hear your voice as well. And if you want to hear your shout out on the show, just tell me what you love about Dates and Mates. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. I am at Damona Hoffman on all the socials. You can send me a DM on any platform with your questions for the show or call me, text me like our listeners today did, 424-246-6255. That's my 24-hour voicemail. So you can contact me anytime, day or night. Again, 424-246-6255. We'll be back next Tuesday with Kate Warman, who will be talking to us about how to navigate faith, religion, and other complex beliefs in relationships. Until then, I wish you happy dating.